Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is author Joyce Maynard. During her 50-year career, she um, has published hundreds of essays as well as 20 books, both fiction and nonfiction, including the memoir At Home in the World and the novels To Die For and Labor Day, both adapted for film. Joyce's newest novel, The Bird Hotel, was published in May 2023. How the Light Gets In, the sequel to her novel, Count the Ways, named an Amazon Best Book in 2021, will be published in spring 2024. Joyce is a fellow of McDowell and Yaddo. Every winter for over two decades, she has led the Lake Attilatan Memoir Workshop right by the lake in Guatemala. In today's conversation, we'll be talking about the impact it has on us as women and as writers when the landscape of our lives shifts and our home, both literally and metaphorically, is no longer familiar to us, and how that affects our ability to write. Welcome to the show, Joyce. Good to talk. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you are here. You know, I've read several of your books, your novels, including the most recent, The Bird Hotel, as well as your second memoir, The Best of Us. And I want to start with that memoir in which you detail your all-too-brief marriage to your late husband, Jim, and the aftermath when you spent the summer following his death at your cottage in New Hampshire. You write about what it would have been like if he had lived and been there with you, how you would have shared the day's events, and you ask, what happens to those things when there is no longer anyone to tell? And as writers, that is what we do, whether through fiction or nonfiction or poetry, We tell what matters to us, what is important to us to share, what we need to get out of our minds and hearts, perhaps to heal ourselves or help others heal. In your memoir, you said you started writing that book the day he died. What did the act of writing do for you in that moment? Well, you know, Nancy, I've had an unusual trajectory as a writer. I... um, I can't remember ever not writing. I I was raised by a mother who should have been a writer herself, but like so many wives and mothers of the 50s, didn't have the opportunities that we had. Um, and she really raised my sister and me to write. Um, <clears throat> and we both have become writers. In fact, my sister also has a book just out. Um, so I... It has been the way that I've made sense of my life all my life to tell the story. I remember my mother saying to me, I I started writing before I could actually make letters. I was giving dictation and my mother was taking my stories seriously and typing them. And I began publishing my work when I was probably 13, 14. So I remember my mother saying to me at some, on some occasion when something happened that I thought was a tragedy, you know, when I was 12, um, at least you can write about it. And that has been my, my approach throughout life. I, when something happens, um, it's not that I'm sort of trying to uh, exploit it or cash in on it, that the act of telling the story um, shifts from the story controlling me to me being in charge of the story and laying it out and, and figuring out what I took from it. Um, you mentioned, you know, the the story that I tell in The Best of Us, my my second memoir, the memoir about finding and losing my very good second husband. 
know, who I met at the age of 57, 58, I think. Um, I actually, the, the 19 months that separated the day of his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer from the night that I woke up in the middle of the night and realized that he had died beside me and he'd been very close to death for a long time. Those 19 months were probably the only period in my entire adult life that I didn't write. But what I found myself doing, compelled to do, and this will probably make sense to you, but to people who don't write, this might seem bizarre. When I realized that Jim, my beloved husband, um, had left the earth. First, I just lay there for a while. I knew I'd never have that experience again, and I wanted to fully take it in. And then it was the middle of the night. There was no point calling anybody. That could wait till the morning. I went downstairs, and I did the thing I have done all my life, longer than I have been raising children or longer than I was my, my parents' child or my husband's wife, longer than I've done just about anything, I made my cup of coffee, made a pot of coffee, opened my laptop and began, began to write the story. And that was the moment that it felt good. That's what I do with not just pain, whatever, joy as well. Um, and it's really the what it's the reason why I teach. I I'm not on the faculty of any university. I'm not part of some MFA program. But for over 20 years, I have hosted a, a memoir workshop for women. Um, used to be once a year um, in this very unlikely place of one of the most beautiful spots on earth, Lake Atitlan, Guatemala, where I have a home. And I have welcomed a group of about 12 women to my home for a week to help them tell their stories because it's not just saying this is what happened. In the act of exploring the story, you, you learn, you discover, and you, in the act of sharing it, somebody else learns too. So that has been, that's been what saved me again and again. Writing has saved me. I'm I'm sitting right now. I, as you may know, I'm in Paris at the moment. I'm in a writing residency, um, like a stone's throw around the corner from Shakespeare and Company, the great English language bookstore in Paris. I can see Notre Dame out my window. I've been given a month long residency that's coming to an end. And these are my little post-it notes on the wall for the book that I'm writing, which is actually a book about writing. I've never done such a thing. I write novels, I write memoirs, but I decided on the 50th anniversary of the first book I ever published, my, my, my book, Looking Back, that I published when I was 19, that I had a few things to say about writing. And what I do is I lay it all out on the wall. If I have a whiteboard, I use a whiteboard, but here in Paris, I'm using my post-it notes. Um, and I make sense of my story. I make sense of my life. Yeah, I, you know, I, I totally understand. And you know, I'm, I'm the same way that the first book I ever wrote came out of my mother's cancer diagnosis. And mm -hmm. even though there's nothing in the book about her diagnosis, it was about making sense of exactly. what was going on. You know, it, it's the eternal questions. Why did this happen? What does this mean? How is this, how can I help her? Who's going to help me? You know, because and I was so. And how did it change me? Yeah. There's always a road trip. There's always a journey. I, it has been, I mean, Obviously, I, I feel extraordinarily fortunate to have been able to spend my entire adult life as a full-time writer. And, and um, 
That's a rare thing. Um, but I mean, I've worked very hard. I've written just about every day of my life. But um, the the gift, the these the, the the surprise came with discovering that in addition to writing my own books, I could be a kind of midwife to other people's stories. And that is really, that has been one of the most fulfilling parts of my life is helping women tell their stories. And which first requires that you figure out what the story is. And it's not just this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, but what did I learn? Um, I'm less interested in, you know, our glorious accomplishments than sometimes, you know, the things that could have broken us, but how we survived them. Exactly. So that's what the best of us was. And, um, you know, every one of my books, whether fiction or nonfiction, the, the new one, The Bird Hotel, is, is a work of fiction. It's a novel that came out of a sort of very surprising set of circumstances that maybe we'll talk about. But there too, we've got a character who has a a catastrophic event in, happen in her life. And I'm not interested in just sort of like staying with her despair. I want to see what she does about that. And I I want to give you a character who survives a catastrophe, as I have myself, you know, numbers of times. Right, right, exactly. And, and I'm glad you, you brought that up because one of the things among the many things that struck me when I read your novels and maybe it's just my perception of what the backstory is or or the kind of hidden thing is, is that the characters seem to be longing for a place, a place where they can belong, a place where they can feel safe, a place that they can call home. And is that, first of all, do I have that? Is that one of the one of the things you were trying to get across? And if so, is that an an idea that that resonates with you and that you want to explore through your work. Absolutely. I mean, my first memoir was called At Home in the World. And I'm probably, I always say to the writers that I, with whom I work, you know, first locate your obsessions, know what your obsessions are. They will be the engine that, you know, you attach to which you attach your work. But um, for me, the search for home is right there. And I, um, and I don't just mean the physical entity of a house. I mean, feeling. Um, I grew up, I mean, I lived in one house for the first 17 years of my life, but I wasn't at home in the world. And the journey of at home in the world really is of a young girl who doesn't feel at home in the world, who does feel out of place and an outsider and different um, and um, carries a lot of, and I grew up in an alcoholic family. There was a lot of shame and secret keeping and comes to the place where she, she feels at home. And the only way that I really know one does, which is to carry home with you. I'm in Paris now. I'm going to be in Barcelona in 10 days. I'll be in New Hampshire after that. I'll be back in Paris after that. I move around a lot. I'll be in Guatemala. I'll be in California. I carry home with me. And that's, I carry my computer with me also. My laptop is important. Um, but, but really it is about, you know, not our stuff, but the stuff of ourselves. Um, and I, it took me a lot of decades to get to that place where I felt at home in the world. 
and I think that is that is so critically important because like you said, it's not the stuff, but it mm-hmm. is what is inside of us because as we know, you can lose stuff. You can lose mm-hmm. stuff from a fire, flood, bankruptcy, whatever. You can lose stuff, but if if you have the essence of home in you, then there's always a place. And and yes, you can feel home with another person, but as we both know, you can also lose that person. So you better have a home that's in you that that isn't going to be lost until you yourself are no longer here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, have, I have a question for you. Are there places where you, as a writer, where you have felt more at home, a place, uh, a sense that this is where I belong. And if so, what makes those places a, a writer's home for you? Is it the environment, the people, something else? Well, I have desks in a few different places. And, you know, right now I'm at a table, as I said, looking out in Paris, not bad. But um, I I guess I would say New Hampshire, where I come from, is the place that I wanted to go after my husband Jim died. I wanted to be, I wanted to be still and contemplate what had happened. Um, but it's not, there's not a sort of magic of a particular place. I've, I've had a few, I've created a few places and I, I care a lot about making a space for writing. It doesn't have to be a fancy space. It doesn't have to be an expensive desk. You know, it's not, the magic is not, you know, like what kind of pencil you use or what kind of writing program. Um, Guatemala occupies a very particular place for me. And it's, it's, I first went, I come from New Hampshire. I grew up in a family that, you know, didn't have money to go any place. And although my mother did take us one time on a trip that just opened up my world to Mexico on a train through Mexico in the, in the mid 1960s and not to like Acapulco, we really saw Mexico. And um, she made sure that we studied Spanish before we did that. But <clears throat> when I was 20 years old and I experienced a total wipeout of my life, what I would call the first absolute, you know, wipeout of my life when the man that I thought I'd be with forever dispatched me off in the world. It's a story that I tell in at home in the world that you may know. Um, a much older, very famous, powerful man who I worship and who suddenly said, get out of my life. Um, I went to Guatemala then at age 20. Really, I just wanted to disappear from the world. And um, I headed to Central America and I, I found myself in this little Mayan indigenous village on the shores of the most spectacular lake I've ever seen, surrounded by volcanoes. It was rainy season. It was like everything was like should have been wrong. But I that place just grabbed me and I I vowed that I would return. I didn't return for many, many years. There was a marriage, children, a divorce. But in my late 40s, my daughter was in Guatemala studying Spanish and I she was about to go off for a year of social work and I knew I wasn't going to see her for a long time. So I returned to Guatemala and this lake had the same effect. I actually think it's kind of a magic place. And that time I said, oh, Audrey, you're so incredibly lucky. You got to live at this lake and study Spanish. And she said words that changed my life. What's keeping you, mom? I was 48. My marriage was over. I had no, my children were all gone. The youngest had just taken off for his own adventures. I cashed in my ticket and I stayed. I rented a little house on the shores of that lake for 
$250 a month, wrote my novel, The Usual Rules, many novels back now, had nothing to do with Guatemala, I just wrote it there. I swam every day for about a half a mile. And one day on my swim, I noticed a for sale sign on a piece of land, very rough piece of land, completely undeveloped, but a piece of lakefront land on this amazing lake. And I didn't have a lot of money, but I figured out a way to buy it, I bought it. And that was the beginning of my life in this place where, which became my refuge to go. And I had a little adobe house and I would go there. Many of my books have been either started or finished there. And it, and very early on in that, in my time there, I decided that I wanted to share this place with other women. And I began this workshop that I call right by the lake. Um, and every year, eight, 10, 12 women would come, stay in a little, simple little hotel in the village. Um, and I would work with them on their story. Some of them were writers, some of them had never written anything, but I felt I could help them do that. And I, that, that has been a theme of my life. In 2020, I went down there to do that, as I always do. I had no idea, it was March of 2020, no need to explain that. I went there to see if anybody would show up and amazingly eight women did. And we had our workshop partway through it. The government of Guatemala closed the airport and we sort of stayed, had an extraordinary time together. We, our chef had to leave. We were just kind of, you know, making a lot of guacamole and rice and beans. And eventually the, the U S embassy sent um, a plane down just to bring the Americans back. I could have gone home. I, had no desire to go back. I knew that I was in the best place I could be at such a moment. And I invited two of my writing students to stay with me. They were both 32 years old, more than half, you know, half my age. And I figured we'd be together for a few weeks. We stayed for six months. And I regard those as six of the happiest months and most productive, most rich and inspiring months of my life. And I say that understanding that, you know, for many people, it was a, a deeply painful time of loss and isolation. But we were in this paradise, swimming every day in my garden and working. Each of us had a project. And I, that's where I wrote my novel, Count the Ways. I would go every day up to my little cabin where I wrote and every night we would make a beautiful dinner by candlelight. We'd sit out under the stars, looking out at the lake and the volcano. It was dead quiet. There was no, all the tourists in the town had left. All the, the boats weren't going across the lake. And I would read out loud from Count the Ways to the girls, I called them. And they would just hang on my words. And it was the most wonderful experience for a writer. You know, I probably don't have to tell you, we don't often get that immediate connection with the reader. We have to wait months. We don't see them reading our book, but I was reading out loud the way I used to for my children. And when I finished Count the Ways, which I did, you know, about six weeks into our time together at the lake, they said, you can't stop now. You have to give us another story because they, they loved their bedtime story. And out of that came the novel that's just been published, Bird, The Bird Hotel, which I really, I wrote under these extraordinarily beautiful circumstances when the world stood still. I was there with these two young women. One of them was had created a, a podcast about immigration that she was broadcasting from the lake. The other was a composer who was, she didn't have a piano, so she was recording bird songs and making music out of them. 
And I was writing this novel, The Bird Hotel, which was a work of complete fiction about, it's only later that I saw the connection. It's about a woman much, much younger than I in her thirties who experiences a devastating loss. She's living in San Francisco, gets on a bus, not really caring if she lives or dies and ends up in a little village in an unnamed Central American country that has a lake and a volcano and bears a certain resemblance to Guatemala, but I never call it Guatemala. And she finds herself for reasons that I won't say, because of course I want you to read the book, um, running a hotel at this lake. At the time that I wrote it, it was a total act of imagination. And it's kind of a magic book. It's sort of like, I, it was like the thousand and one nights. I, every night I told the story of another stage in my character, Irene, Irene's uh, journey, her rediscovery of joy after she's lost all hope. Um, but actually over these months, I found myself doing another thing besides writing books, which was that there was devast there was no COVID in my village, really no discernible COVID, but there was desperate, desperate unemployment. And men needed jobs, men and women needed jobs. So I decided I would build a little guest house on my property. And I hired 20 men. I could afford to do that in Guatemala as I couldn't in the US. And when the guest house was done and it turned out beautiful, I sort of drew a little drawing and the men made it with all hand tools, all you know, native trees, bamboo, stone, textiles. When that house was finished, there was still a pandemic. We were still there. And so I said, well, let's build another house. And in the end we built five houses on that piece of property. And I discovered I was in fact running a bird hotel myself, which I do now. I, I now when I host my workshops, the women who come to work with me stay in those little casitas, those little houses. And when I'm not there running a workshop, um, other people rent it, have yoga retreats, have family retreats, get together with their friends and I run a hotel who, who would have expected. Yeah. You know, just now you said two things that caught my attention, not even on my list of questions. The first was when your daughter said to you, what's stopping you or whatever it was she said. And it struck me that so often we almost need someone else to give us permission or to make us think of possibilities that we haven't thought about. I, I mean, uh, what? Why is that? Why do we? Well, I, as a person who's been very much on my own most of my life, I really have been taking care of myself most of my life. And for very few of those years was I married. I married young to the father of my children and was on my own for 25 years before I met my very good second husband who died, you know, just a year and a half after we were married. Um, I give myself permission a lot. Um, and part of, I think, my function as a teacher and mentor, I think of myself more as a mentor than a teacher um, of writing for others, is to, we shouldn't need to be given permission, you're exactly right, but to say, to open the, fling the doors open and say, what's keeping you? What's the worst that could happen? Why not tell the story? And I think women especially are so invested in taking care of everybody else but themselves that we don't we don't honor our own 
story, our own needs. So that's what I do. I do it in the workshops that I teach, the classes I teach right by the lake. And I do it in my, in my novels. I tend to create characters who have had no shortage of trouble, but they're survivors, they're resilient. And I want to put out into the world images of women, stories of women, not escaping hard times, but, but surviving them and coming out the other end of them, changed and, and, and in some ways deepened for the experience. That's, those are the stories that interest me. Um, and of course, my character in the Bird Hotel is one such character. She, she comes to this imaginary place, a broken woman, and that lake and those volcanoes and what she discovers there over the course of you know her days of taking care of her guests, taking care of the men and women who work for her, running this place, um, living through a you know a volcano eruption and many other things. Um, she she finds herself. She gets herself back. And it was interesting what you said when you were talking about, you know, when you started writing The Bird Hotel, that it was purely a work of fiction and everything. I read the sequence in which I read it. I read it after I read your second memoir. So as I'm reading it, even though the catastrophe that befalls her was completely different from what you went in, yet it was still about loss, okay? It's about loss. I mean, there it, are, I don't think any honest writer is going to tell you that, you know, her work comes out of some piece of her life, whether she's writing fiction or nonfiction, that um, we are going to be most stirred by our obsessions. And, mm-hmm. and one of mine certainly is family. And another is home. And another is loss. Um, I've um, count the ways my my novel before this one is follows a woman through her young love affair with with the man who becomes her husband and the father of their children through the gradual uh, crushing um, loss of her marriage. Her marriage falls apart. And we see her not just destroyed by this, but carrying on. And in fact, with the count the ways, women were so attached to this character and so involved in her story, as I become when I write, they're, you know, my characters become a member of my family, members of my family, that they wrote to me and they said, well, we, we need to know what happens to her next. So the next book, which will come out next spring and is, I'm just now finishing the revisions of this one, is the sequel to Count the Ways where we get to see where Eleanor goes after. And that's always so fascinating because like you said, when when a reader gets so invested in a character, you know, it's not enough for them to get to the end of the book. Okay, the end and however it ends, it's like, but I want to know what's next. I mean, they they I have loved so I mean that to me, that's the highest praise. I um, you know, women will come up to me. I get a lot of letters about count the ways. Um, and I'm starting to now about the bird hotel, but count the ways has been out for a couple of years and so I've gotten hundreds of letters and, you know, a woman will say something like, I'm 76 years old. I, I, I hope you get that sequel out soon because I want to find out, you know, to me, of course, 76 doesn't mean you're, you're one foot in the grave, but um, 
I, my characters are very real to me. And there's actually a kind of sadness to me when they, when I finish a book that um, I'm not spending my days with them anyway, anymore. I miss them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard for non-writers to understand that. Um, I had written, I wrote a lot of short stories and there was one, one short story that I wrote. I started it years ago, way before either one of my parents even had cancer, let alone had passed away. And the, the story, it's about this character making the drive from basically Northeast Ohio down to St. Augustine, Florida, Fountain of Youth, get the picture. And what happens? And, then, and I always knew, well, I can't totally finish it without doing the trip. Okay, but you're working, you can't leave. Then my mother got cancer. Okay, so any trip I made was get on a plane, go see mom, because she was in Florida and California. She passed 10 years later, my father gets cancer, he passes. And I finally made the trip four months after he passed, because I was having such a hard time. And mm -hmm. I'm sure, you, you know, this is this is why it was hard for me to read your second memoir. Because even though it was your husband, my father, it was the, the mm -hmm. connection, okay? And so, in theory, this was supposed to be a trip where I was getting the details for this character. So, if I said there was a rest area somewhere, there really was one. But honestly, I was channeling this woman who was, say, 15 years older than me because she was dealing with a diagnosis of cancer. And that's so I was actually channeling... That's the emotional truth of a book, which matters a lot. Yes. More than what books are, of course, as you know. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting. I I hope that, of course, I've gotten, a lot, I get a lot of letters from readers. And I hope that that The Best of Us is not just a book for people who have lost somebody to cancer. I don't think it is. But but whatever the loss, it's it definitely addresses loss. I hope it's a book that, that rather than, you know, as we say, triggering or upsetting a person um, that nourishes them and, and assists them through the process of grief. I, um, I grew up, as I said early on, and I always find myself mentioning this part of my story. I grew up in an alcoholic family where we didn't talk about the fact that my father got drunk. And a theme of my writing life that runs through just about everything I've done is we talk about it. I say what happened. I look square in the eye and name it. And for me, and it's what I urge for the, the women with whom I work in my workshops, there's far greater comfort in talking about the hardest experiences than avoiding them. Um, I think our culture is one that avoids, you know, we try to make things nice often, but um, I want to make things real. And if you, to me, it is in the act of doing that, that we, that we get through it much more, with much more resolution. Um, I don't feel that the best of us is a depressing book. I, I, um, it's not about, um, my husband got cancer, my husband died. It is about the powerful love that we knew and what we did together, what I learned 
God, if I, if I went through those 19 brutal months and came out of it not having learned anything, what an extraordinary waste. Um, and I did. I did learn many things. I am a different person with that experience. And I, it's sort of a measure, it is a measure of any piece of writing to me that, you know, we see where did the character end up at the end that she wasn't in the beginning? Sometimes it is literally a road trip, like your trip from Ohio to St. Augustine and St. Augustine, I guess. Augustine, Augustine. Augustine. Um, Augustine. Um, I often speak of the metaphor of a road trip when I'm talking with writers. And I say, your manuscript, your essay, your story, whether it's six pages long or 300, should be a road trip. You should take me somewhere. And I should be somewhere different on the last page than I was on the first. Speaking of road trips, um, you've been writing for a considerable length of time. Um, what, 50 years now at this point? Oh, much more. Much more. Okay. How I'm have you... years old, and I, I, as I said, I really can't remember not writing um, all my life. So how, especially once you started publishing, and we all know that, you know, non-writers think, oh, you've published a book, isn't that wonderful? Everybody loves you. We know that's not always the case. Or people don't respond at all, and you feel like you've published into a void at times. But... How have you kept your passion for writing alive after all these years and after so many books? Was there ever a time when you thought, I'm done, I, I can't write again? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If there ever were going to be, it would have been when I published At Home in the World, which was a memoir um, that I wrote about my young, it's really about me. It's sometimes described as the book about Salinger because- when I was 18, as many people know, J.D. Salinger read an article that I wrote, saw a picture of me on the cover of the New York Times magazine section. I was 18 and he sent me a letter and that began a friendship, a correspondence that became a relationship that it inspired me to drop out of college, leave the world to be with him and ultimately led to the devastation that I described earlier. When I published that book, I was silent. I said nothing about that experience for 25 years. I was protecting the man as women do. Um, the great man, so much more important than I. And when I published that book, inspired by my own daughter turning 18, right around that time, I was condemned across the nation um, by critics, by literary greats. Um, I was called a predator in the pages of the New York Times for having written about this great, important man and who was I. Um, that would have been the moment if I was going to like throw in the towel. And that was the moment that I had to recognize it is folly to define oneself by what other people say, who other people say you are. I knew that I wrote a really good book and a really honest book and a book that would endure as it has. Um, so no, I, what has sustained me are not awards and, you know, front page reviews in the New York Times book review, they're readers. Um, readers have sustained me again and again. I'm I'm in Paris right now writing and 
Um, I have a lot of French readers. My books are very popular in France. And so I've been here a month now and readers were sending me messages on Facebook. I have a very active Facebook life saying, you know, where are you going to be giving a reading? And I'm not giving a reading this time. I'm working on a book and working on my French and being in Paris. But I decided I wanted to meet readers because readers are so important in my life. So yesterday I threw a party in Paris, actually. And since I just have a tiny little apartment, it wasn't in my apartment. I announced that I would be um, in the Tuileries, the very beautiful park and right by the Louvre um, at 6 p.m. Um, on a Sunday afternoon. And I would bring, my original plan was to bring wine, but you're not allowed to bring wine into the Tuileries. So I brought fruit juice and fruit and great cheese and great baguettes. And I, I didn't know if three people would show up or 20, 35 people came. And we created a circle of chairs in the park. And I read a few pages from the Bird Hotel in French, L'Hôtel des Oiseaux, it's called in French. Um, and honestly, that meant more to me than any great review, getting to meet readers and be reminded why I do what I do. Some books of mine have been extremely successful, two were made into movies, and some books have sold very poorly. I. I look at my writing life, not in terms of how many books I sell, what my Amazon rating is, but um, am I connecting with readers? Am I, you know, when I get a letter from a reader, it makes all the difference. And that's the experience that I want the writers that I work with to know that because all the rest will go away. You know, if you're looking to, you know, get, you know, invited on to Oprah's couch, you know, you're going to meet with a lot of frustration get some six-figure book deal you know quit your day job you know if you do most don't um but what i what i always get is that sense that i am that what i have written has mattered to somebody yeah well and that actually brings me to the last question that i always like to close with which is what is your definition of success as a writer well, it's that, isn't it? And it's, I guess, <laughs> my first reader is me. I write books that I want to read. And I write often rather fast. I think for a long time before I write, maybe months, sometimes years. But but once I write, I'm writing like the wind. You could have a, there could be a fire burning next to me, you know, burning down the house. And I would barely notice because I'm in this zone of, got to find out how what's going to happen to my characters and uh, so I guess my success is if I keep you up late at night if I make you cry if I make your heart beat faster if I make you you know say uh, I, when's that next that sequel coming out because I I have to live long enough to read it that's my success it is most definitely not getting on the New York Times bestseller list which would be handy financially and other things but um it is that sense that I've told a story that moves you. And um, I think my stories do pretty consistently do that. Um, so I feel so successful. I'm a wildly successful um, writer. I hardly a day goes by that I don't hear from, at the moment, especially Bird Hotel has just come out. And I, I'm getting letters every day from a woman saying, I, I couldn't help it. I stayed up till two reading that book. Yes. That's success. Absolutely. It's it's making that connection because that's why we write. We write, like you said, we write for ourselves. 
we write for other people and we hope that there is a connection in there somewhere that we've touched them and that they take a minute to let us know that because that matters, you know, that just oh, is yeah. so yeah. incredibly important. Well, I've really enjoyed having you on the show and I can't wait to read your next book and your book for writers because I buy every book for writers that's out there, not the technical stuff. No, it's mine is actually, the other stuff. You know, I think my favorite book on writing is Stephen King's On Writing. I have that. I, I love that book. Um, it's And as you know, because I bet you've read it, it's kind of a hybrid. The first part is a memoir, really, a memoir of his writing life, which is what I am doing as well. I'm, I'm looking at my life as it has unfolded for me as a writer, which means the parts about having my children, having my marriage, many other things that, you know, the death of my husband are much less present in I'm, I want to share my writing life. And then the second half is really comes out of the lessons that I have learned from teaching writing on the shores of Lake Antitlan, which is why I call the book, for now anyway, its working title is Writing Under the Volcano. Um, wonderful. It certainly, it sounds like a wonderful book. I can't wait till it comes out. So, but I, like I said, I've enjoyed having you on the show. Um, thank you for taking your time away from beautiful Paris. I've never been there, but I just imagine it must be beautiful. It's pretty darn great. <laughs> And thanks to everybody who joined us here at Living the Writing Life. And I, I, I hope everybody knows that they can always find me at JoyceMaynard.com, my website. That's right. And the links will be in the show notes. Terrific. Thank you, Thank you again for lovely, being on the show. Lovely getting to know you, Nancy. Take care. Thank you.